Hi, Dave Emery here. This is For the Record Program number 1248. The Ukraine War meets the Oswald Institute of Virology. This is being recorded on June 10th of the year 2022. Uh, before we get into the main body of the program, as always, some links. These are at the top of each written for the record description on the SpitfireList.com website and at the top of each food for thought post at the left-hand side of the front page, again, of the SpitfireList.com website. One of those links will enable you to obtain the 32-gigabyte flash drive containing basically all of my uh, 43 years' worth of work, both audio and print, plus all of the comments. More about those in a minute. Uh, this basically is everything that is on the SpitfireList.com website, and again, it uh, has the better part of a half century's worth of work by yours truly, plus a mini library of old anti-fascist books on easy-to-download PDF files. As I've said so many times, and <laughs> ugh, this grim program, um, and the first of a two- or three-part series, dealing with things that I really... <laughs> Uh, wish weren't happening, but uh, this will underscore perhaps uh, my, uh, my my very sorry conviction that we are at the end of our civilization. And I think at the risk of seeming uh, very pretentious or corny, I think that as sentient beings, I think you have, we all have, a responsibility, a karmic responsibility, so to speak, to preserve the record of what happened to our society for generations to come, assuming there are generations to come, because uh, as our old joke has it, our dogma is going to be run over by our karma, and it is just uh, not good at all. But anyway, all of the SpitfireList.com website is on a 32-gigabyte flash drive, which is yours, for a very nominal and tax-deductible fee. I get no money whatsoever from that. Now, another link, again, at the top of each Food for Thought description and at the top of each uh at the top of each food for thought article and each for the record description, uh, will enable you to subscribe to the comments that were made, usually by our brilliant contributing editor, Perifractal, sometimes by other people. With all that is going on in the world, there is much too much for me to contribute and cover, even in a one-hour weekly program. So increasingly, those comments are, I think, fundamental for people who wish to stay well-informed. And uh, Perifractal has been doing a great job. So have uh, other people as well. So uh, you can subscribe to those comments. Uh, also, uh, there is a link which will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being made by Sister Station WFMU. So if podcasts are the best way for you to consume the program, and in the media landscape of 2022, that is increasingly the case, then uh, Sister Station WFMU is podcasting for the record. And also, 
There, I have begun a Patreon site, and there is a link at the top of each written for the record description and each food for thought post for you to uh, participate in the Patreon uh, material. I'm doing three, one hour, often more than an hour plus recorded segments each week. Um, we were going to have edited transcripts. I, I think maybe what we'll do, I'm, I'm still working on this, is we'll have the unedited transcripts. They're raw, they're kind of like the old Google translations, or but they will give people something printed to hang on to. And we're also doing bi-weekly Zoom Q&A sessions. These Patreon, the Patreon material is still very much a work in progress, and uh, we should have uh, a more concrete grasp on what we're going to be doing fairly soon. But with three one-hour talks per week, a much more informal mode of presentation than these uh, admittedly very pedantic for-the-record programs, uh, again, I can cover much more material than I can in a one-hour broadcast. So that is the last of the four links that will uh, enable you to uh, flesh out your understanding. Now, uh, with the as for the topic of this program, it will be at least, I think, a two-part series, maybe three. Uh, there have been developments coming to light uh, that have twined the investigation into the uh, genesis of the coronavirus with the Ukraine war. Uh, there has been material that has been recovered from uh, Hunter, uh, Hunter, Hunter Biden's laptop uh, that has been confirmed by, among others, the Daily Mail. And Team Trump was looking for that laptop so they could uh, get all sorts of uh, dirty stuff on uh, Team Biden, and there is pl- apparently plenty of uh, smutty and drug-related stuff on there. But there were also some things that were very devastating indeed. And uh, it turns out that Hunter Thompson, excuse me, Hunter Thompson, there I go again, Hunter Biden was expediting uh, participation by a firm called Metabiopa in Ukraine, and Metabiopa has been heavily involved with biological warfare research. As we looked at, uh, Metabiopa was also very much hooked up with the EcoHealth Alliance, uh, one of the main apparent intelligence fronts involved with uh, what I call the Oswald Institute of Virology, also the Wuhan Institute of Virology is its correct name. Uh, there has been uh, a development in the investigation into the biological warfare labs in Ukraine uh, that it really is very frightening. Uh, in our contemporary media environment, there is a, uh, I guess, with, with Cold War 2.0, uh, McCarthyism 2.0 has kicked in. And now anybody who is saying anything that is critical, either of uh, Ukraine or the Ukraine war, or even talking about things that are very well documented, such as the fundamental role of Nazi elements in the Ukrainian national security establishment and on their political landscape is branded a Putin dupe or a Russian dupe or a Russian collaborator or what have you. And something very similar is going on 
uh, with regard to China as well. I would note that in the exhaustive series I have done about uh, what I call biopsyop apocalypse uh, and then eventually the long Oswald Institute of Biology series, Almost all of the material was taken from Western sources, and I think with the exception of uh, a South China Morning Post article, that's a very credible, by the way, Chinese publication. Uh, I think Jack Ma actually uh, owns the company that publishes it. And I think there was also a brief segment from the Global Times, but almost all of that exhaustive series. Uh, I think I began that, well, I know the first program I did about the pandemic was for the record 11.11, and I wrapped up the Oswald Institute of Virology series with for the record 11.93. There were a few in there, so I'd say about 70 hours, and then added to that with for the record 12.15. So in some 70 hours of programming, almost all of it is from Western sources. Uh, one of the allegations that was made by Russia in a UN session, uh, there have been a couple of them, but one of them on April 6th, was that uh, there were, among the projects that were being uh, run in Ukraine, involved using birds as vectors for various uh, genetically engineered biological warfare weapons. There has been a further development of that, and uh, I would note that uh, I think it is extraordinarily unlikely that the Russians are using uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, nor are they using the Daily Mail from the UK, which, you know, although they're a right-wing paper and they have uh, a fairly... Uh, overt tabloid uh, spin to them, I guess you could say, or bent to them. Uh, they do some good articles, and I've uh, accessed Daily Mail articles for many years, periodically. But I don't think the, the Russians are using either Hunter Biden's laptop or the Daily Mail. And I would note that the West uh, has completely boycotted uh, or blacked out any mention of uh, those Russian UN Security uh, uh, General Assembly uh, meetings. One of the claims that they made, and we've, we've covered this in the past, was that there were birds, migratory birds, which were implanted with digital chips that were monitored by satellite, and they were also equipped with capsules that uh, contained uh, microbes, pathogenic microbes, viruses, and or bacteria. When the birds, and again, they're the implanted chips are, are monitored by satellite. When the birds are over a country that is targeted, they are killed and the capsules are released. Uh, there is a very important and long article that we are going to be accessing. We have uh, accessed many articles from this website before, and it is done by uh, a very skilled writer. Uh, the website is Organic Consumers Association, and from their, from their website of April 22nd of 2022, there is another very important, excellent article by Alexis Baden 
Mayor, M-A-Y-E-R, is bird flu being weaponized? And this talks about the avian H5N1 avian flu. Uh, the, that is a very deadly avian flu. Deadly for birds, it rarely affects human beings. Something that we have spoken about in numerous programs is Gilead Sciences. That is a firm that developed uh, remdesivir, uh, a initially touted as a treatment for uh, SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19. Uh, later, however, it turned out that it was uh, only possibly effective. The uh, WHO, the EU and WHO have severely downgraded their opinion of remdesivir. Uh, we've noted in the past that remdesivir had developed, among other things, a, an antiviral agent called Tamiflu, specifically designed to counteract H5N1 should it adapt to human beings. Uh, the top dog, so to speak, with Gilead Sciences, the chairman of the board for many years, was none other than the late Donald Rumsfeld, uh, a key player in uh, Republican White Houses dating back to the mid-70s, and obviously the uh, Secretary of Defense uh, during the Iraq invasion and uh, during George W. Bush's terms. Obviously, uh, Donald Rumsfeld was not in the position he was in because of his medical or scientific expertise. Uh, as we noted, among other things, Donald Trump had the Pentagon stock up on Tamiflu, again designed to counteract a human uh, mutation, a human adaptation of H5N1, which uh, fortunately did not happen globally. And uh, Donald uh, Rumsfeld, I was about to say Donald Trump, Donald Rumsfeld also profited handsomely from his stock holdings in Gilead Sciences while uh, his Pentagon was stockpiling uh, Tamiflu. Uh, there are indications that, in fact, uh, the genetic engineering of H5N1, which we have also spoken about, uh, may have been accomplished, or they were working on that in Ukraine. Russia has alleged that. And in this article, again, by Alexis Bodmeyer, is bird flu being weaponized? Uh, published by Organic Consumers Association from April 22nd of 2022. There is a long discussion of H5N1 and the gain-of-function manipulations on the virus that causes that under the auspices of Anthony Fauci and other elements of the U.S. medical and military uh, established, uh, the, the med- well, we could call it the medical-military uh, complex. I would note that Anthony Fauci has been a bet noir for the Trump right. He is not by any means without blame. I do think that there is uh, perhaps inescapable rhetorical uh, overemphasis on Anthony Fauci. He is no more than a bureaucrat and a cog in the wheel and is apparently doing the bidding of 
more powerful forces who are operating behind the scenes. However, uh, he has given a green light to game-of-function manipulations of the H5N1 virus that have made it much more transmissible and may have made it transmissible for uh, two human beings. There was no recorded outbreak of H5N1 in human beings until 1997 in Hong Kong when that former British colony that was conquered during the Opium Wars was handed over to China. That very same year, there was an H5N1 human outbreak in Hong Kong, something that had been predicted by an Australian researcher named Kennedy Shortridge. And Kennedy Shortridge, in turn, is part of a network of scientists uh, who figure prominently not only in manipulations of H5N1 and the game of function uh, manipulations of H, uh, H5N1, but also in biological warfare research and or theorizing. Uh, I take a lot of ribbing, uh, perhaps deservedly, for using the word milieu so often. Uh, there aren't a lot of good words for milieu, perhaps network. Uh, people want to understand why I use the word milieu so much. Uh, the H5N1 concatenation here involves an important group of people who are basically a milieu. There also in this article is a very important discussion of the evolution of metabiota that in turn is hooked up with the EcoHealth Alliance and the research in the uh, Wuhan, at the Wuhan Institute of Virology that I have termed the Oswald Institute of Virology. I believe it was, it was set up to take the fall for SARS-CoV-2. Uh, there is a very chilling bit of information about the evolution of metabiota. I'm going to uh, read some of the, well, you could maybe call them highlights, lowlights might be a better uh, term for it, and then we're going to go ahead and read the article. It'll, I'm, I'm sure it'll take at least uh, two programs, perhaps three. Uh, as you listen to this, uh, the article... Uh, Keep in mind not only the allegations that were made by the Russians in the UN, of course, that is being poo-pooed as, you know, Russian lies, Russian propaganda, you name it. Uh, bear in mind also the uh, article from an Indian blog that talked about research at the Bharatpur Migratory Bird Refuge in India, and that was being conducted by the U.S. Army in the late 1960s or 1970s to see whether migratory birds carried uh, pathogenic microbes. Also, we looked at some material from the book Bitten by Chris Newby, where Daniel Sonnenschein had done research in the late 1960s in the U.S., where Lone Star picks a virulent 
biting tick that carries disease, were planted in what was known as the Atlantic Flyway, where migratory birds uh, migrated between North and South America, and subsequently there were established colonies of lone star ticks as far north as Maine, where they had never previously been discovered. Uh, so it is against the research that was uh done in Bharatpur against the allegations made by Russia in in the UN Security Council of April 6th. Anything Russia says now is being roundly dismissed as a lie that is tragic and may prove deadly, and also against the background of the research that was done by Chris Newby and uh, that uh, Daniel Sommenschein was engaged in in the U.S. in the late 1960s. This also falls against the background of the research we have done on Gilead Sciences, their work at the Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases, and uh, the research that they were apparently engaged in in Ebola uh, treatment via remdesivir. Uh, the AMRIIB was closed down in early August of 2019 for, by the CDC for unnamed security or, or uh, sanitation violations. Uh, those, the precise nature of those, has been uh, buried beneath the national security cover. I think predictably, and I think it is unlikely we will ever know the full truth about that. Uh, much of the information that was alleged by Russia vis-à-vis the bio labs in Ukraine has been confirmed from things that, from uh, material that had been online that was taken offline by the U.S. embassy in Ukraine when the Russians invaded. Uh, it was, however, subsubsequently stored by the Wayback Machine and uh, I have put that information in some of our past programs. Now, some key names in this milieu from the Alexis Baden-Mayer article from 422-2022 is bird flu being weaponized. Now, the emergence of the H5N1 human variant uh, in Hong Kong was eerily predicted by Kennedy Shortridge, the scientist who would discover it. H5N1 did not infect human beings until Shortridge and his colleagues had been studying its human infection potential in their labs for several years. At the time, the natural leap of a flu directly from poultry to humans was so improbable that scientists first suspected that it was the result of contamination from Shortridge's lab. These are excerpts from the article. Now, again, uh, normally H5N1 human infections are extremely rare. H5N1 hardly ever infects people. News about highly pathogenic avian influenza usually leads with how deadly it is. Rarely is it mentioned that the disease hardly ever infects people. H5N1 kills more than half of the people who get it, but H5N1 has circled the globe for decades, and there have been only 860 human infections worldwide, and that again in a period of decades. And more about the uh, rarity of human infections by uh, H5N1. There has never been an H5N1 pandemic, and no human infection with H5N1 bird flu has ever been identified in the U.S. 
That is an extraordinary safety record given how filthy U.S. factory farms and slaughterhouses are and how fast the infection spreads among crowded birds. So far in 2022, 29 states have reported outbreaks of bird flu in 213 flocks, resulting in the culling of nearly 31 million birds, including almost 5% of egg-laying hens. In 2015, it was even worse, with 50 million birds culled, but there wasn't a single human case. Uh, now, Anthony Fauci, again, is the person who has green-lighted game-of-function research on H5N1, and we're going to talk about the various members of this milieu uh, at the end of this meeting of excerpts. Anthony Fauci has made significant investments in game-of-function research to give H5N1 pandemic potential, making it easily transmissible from person to person, and Bill Gates chipped in, too. In February 2006, Fauci convened a one-day in-house NIAID Influenza Research Summit to identify influenza research priorities. In September, he opened up the topic to a 35-member Blue Ribbon Panel on Influenza Research that included uh, Ron Fouchier and Yoshihira Kawaoke. Uh, K-A-W-A-O-K-A, I may be butchering the pronunciation. More about uh, Ron Fouchier and uh, Yoshihiro Kawaioke later. Those are two of the members. The Blue Ribbons panel doesn't mention game-of-function experiments, but Fauci gave them grants to do just that. Ron Fouchier and Yoshiro Kawaioke, now infamous game-of-function research... Uh, actually, one more time. Ron Fouchier and... Yoshiro Kawaioke's now infamous game-of-function research showed that through lab manipulation, H5N1 could be altered to become highly transmissible among humans via airborne infection. H5N1 H5N1 didn't cause disease in humans until this potential had been studied in the lab for several years. Fauci had been funding Kawaioke and Fouchier's efforts to get bird flu to leap to humans since 1990, and their work was connected to what Shortridge was doing in Hong Kong. For seven years prior to the first H5N1 outbreak in 1997, parenthetically in Hong Kong, Fauci had been funding Kawaioke's game-of-function bird flu research at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, and Kawaioke's mentor there, Robert G. Webster, was working and publishing with the aforementioned Kennedy Shortridge. Every year, Webster spent three months working with Shortridge at the University of Hong Kong, according to this profile of Webster, which mentions Kawaioke, as his publisher, Kawaioke, by the capital K-A-W-A-O-K-A. The most eerie connection between Shortridge and Webster's labs is that the closest known relative of the 1997 Hong Kong H5N1 human outbreak was the avian virus that struck Pennsylvania chickens in 1983 that Yoshihiro Kawaioke had studied. According to Time magazine, Webster assigned a young scientist 
Yoshihiro Kawaoki to try to figure out how the 1983 virus transformed itself into such a hot, unquote, pathogen. Kawaoki, now a professor of virology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, compared the genetic structure of viruses from the first and second waves and found only a single, extremely subtle change in the H gene. The two viruses differed by just one nucleotide, one of 1,700 nucleotides that made up that gene. And uh, more about this milieu. There's also a connection... There's also a connection to Ron Fouchier through his mentor at the Erasmus Medical Center in Rotterdam, the Netherlands, Jan de Jong, also a colleague and collaborator of Shortridge and Webster's. Kawaoke's colleague and mentor Robert G. Webster and Fouchier's colleague and mentor Jan de Jong were the first scientists outside of Hong Kong to receive samples of the 1997 H5N1 human outbreak flu from Kennedy Shortridge's lab. De Jong is often credited with being the one who identified the 1997 Hong Kong flu as H5N1, but he did so with a panel of reagents to every type of flu strain yet known, unquote, that had been brought from Webster's lab in Memphis to the National Influenza Center in Rotterdam. Kawioka and Fouchier are of post-biological weapons convention era where the weaponization of pathogens is euphemistically called gain-of-function research, but their older colleagues, De Jong, Shortridge, and Webster came of age prior to 1972, and their mentors were of the pre-biological weapons convention era when virologists knowingly and openly engineered viruses for military purposes. Shortridge and Webster were trained by Frank McFarlane Burnet, B-U-R-N-E-P, who served as the Australian Department of Defense's New Weapons and Equipment Development Committee in the 1940s and 1950s. The Federation of American Scientists lists some of the most chilling things Burnet recommended. Bernay said Australia should develop biological weapons that would work in tropical Asia without spreading to Australia's more temperate population centers. Bernay's observations, quote, and uh, I will quote these directly here, specifically to the Australian situation, the most effective counteroffensive to threatened invasion by overpopulated Asiatic countries would be directed towards the destruction of biological or chemical means of tropical food crops and the dissemination of infectious disease capable of spreading in tropical but not under Australian conditions. Now, in addition, this article also notes a frightening relationship between Metabiota, again, that's the company uh, whose activities in Ukraine were being expedited by Hunter Biden, and uh, that overlaps EcoHealth Alliance, and uh, the selection of Philip Zelico, uh, an interesting individual who uh, headed up the commission, quote, investigating, unquote, the 9-11 attacks, uh, 
and uh, was less than vigorous in so doing. He was uh, cited by, among others, Peter Dale Scott in his uh, books The American Beat State and The Road to 911 as having had some key emissions in his report. Uh, Philip Zellico also uh, implemented in 2002 a doc- basically a document he crafted a document that implemented the recommendations that were made by the uh, Committee for a, a, a New American Century, uh, by the, the Project for a New American Century, excuse me, in their Rebuilding American Defenses paper. They recommended, among other things, that genetically engineered biological weapons could become a politically useful tool, unquote. And it was Philip Zellico that encoded, basically uh, transferred the recommendations of uh, PNAC's uh, Rebuilding America's Defenses uh, into national security policy in 2002. And again, he was the guy selected to write, to head up the commission that, quote, investigated, unquote, the September 11th attacks, uh, as I've said, that might be appropriately termed the Omission Commission. It was that same Philip Zellico whom we uh, discussed in, among other programs for the record, 1190, that was selected to head up a commission to look into the origins of the coronavirus. And it turns out that the people who uh, basically helped to uh, come together to create Metabiopa, originally a non-profit called the Global Viral Forecasting Initiative. Uh, they were involved with the funding of the commission to be headed up by Philip Zellico. Again, excerpting the Alexis Bodenmayer paper. In 2008, Google.org committed $30 million to virus hunting and game-of-function research on potential pandemic pathogens through a project it called Predict and prevent. At least 5.5 million of that went to Dr. Nathan Wolf's nonprofit Global Virus Forecasting Initiative, which was soon to become the for-profit Metabiaba. One more time. At least 5.5 million of that went to Dr. Nathan Wolf's nonprofit Global Viral Forecasting Initiative, which was soon to become the for-profit Metabiaba. Other GVFI funders at the time included the Skull Foundation, which also gave $5.5 million, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Merck Research Laboratories, and the U.S. Department of Defense. When the GVFI became the for-profit Metabiopa, Google Ventures continued to invest. In addition, it created a business partnership with Metabiopa, quote, offering its big data expertise to help the company serve its customers and insurers, government agencies, and other organizations by offering them forecasting and risk management tools. In other words, they sell pandemic insurance. Uh, as we noted, by the way, one of the emails on Hover Biden's laptop described Medabiaba as being to the Department of Agriculture as Palantir was to the CIA. Palantir, the alpha predator of the electronic surveillance uh, landscape, headed up by uh, uber-reactionary Peter Peel, a Trump backer. And I would note that the current director of national intelligence, Abel Haynes, worked as a consultant to Palantir uh, during the Trump administration. She also was a key participant in Event 201 in October of 2019 that discussed, again, just hypothetically, uh, a 
coronavirus caused global pandemic that would rend the social, political, and economic fabric of every nation on earth. And coincidentally, not. Uh, two months later, that is exactly what happened. Uh, more about uh, Methylapa. When the GVFI became the for-profit uh, when the GVFI became the for-profit Methabiopa, uh, no, um, let me uh, go back and read more about this. Actually, no, we, we, we've already read that section here. When the GVFI became the for-profit Methabiopa, Google Ventures continued to invest. In addition, it created a business partnership with Methabiopa, quote, offering its big data expertise to help the company serve its customers or insurers, government agencies, and other organizations by offering them forecasting and risk management tools. In other words, they sell pandemic insurance. Now that Methabiopa has gotten caught up in the COVID origins scandal, its original investors, Eric Schmidt of Google, Jeffrey Skoll of eBay, Rajiv Shah of the Rockefeller Foundation, formerly USAID director for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, chipped in to fund the COVID Commission Planning Group, a whitewash led by Philip Zellico, who gave us the 9-11 Commission cover-up. So, again, many of the key funders of what was to become Metabiota, originally a non-profit GVFI. Again, Eric Schmidt of Google, Jeffrey Skoll of eBay, Rajiv Shah of the Rockefeller Foundation, formerly USAID director for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They chipped in to fund the COVID Commission planning group headed up by Philip Zellico. It's not mentioned here that another of the funders was none other than Charles Koch, a key backer of uh, Mike Pompeo and Donald Trump. Uh, now, another thing that is critical about this, as we noted in some of our discussions of the links between Metabiopa and the EcoHealth Alliance, and something we, that we spoke about uh, many times in connection with EcoHealth Alliance. Again, that is the main organization involved with funding the research at uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And its primary funders are the Pentagon and USAID, and its science and medical advisor is David Franz. Uh, I identified him as the commanding officer at Fort Detrick, he was the commanding officer of the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases. That is, at this point in time, arguably the most important part of uh, Fort Detrick, but not necessarily the commander of Fort Detrick per se. But it turns out that uh, he, as a, an employee of Southern Research, had been fundamentally involved in the encapsulation research of the anthrax bacteria that was at Fort Detrick and that was used in the anthrax attacks of 2001. Those were pinned on a uh, worker named Bruce Ivins at Fort Detrick, who then conveniently committed, committed suicide. One of the things we spoke about in connection with the aforementioned book Bitten by Chris Newby was the, uh, the belief on the part of some Fort Detrick veterans whom she worked with, uh, that their colleague Bruce Ivins had been framed for the anthrax attacks. 
We've also, in a number of programs, including, and especially for the record, 1128, looked at an article from 2002 in Vanity Fair called The Message in the Anthrax that uh, notes how uh, Stephen Hatfield, never indicted, by the way, for the anthrax attacks, was long viewed as a person of interest, but everybody in the national security establishment basically said, nah, don't worry about him. Uh, the suspicion in these quarters is is that Stephen Hatfield is a U.S. intelligence officer, and as such, would be completely beyond the law. They basically, the Pentagon, CIA, etc., alphabet soup, does whatever they want. The law does not touch them. But it is more than a little interesting in light of the fact that the anthrax attacks led to a an exponential increase in the number of BSL-4 labs in the U.S., up to 12 I think there had previously only been two. It was the anthrax attacks that did that, and the anthrax that was used in those attacks, a very sophisticated, weaponized anthrax that had been, quote, encapsulated, unquote, was developed by David Franz when he was working at Southern Research. So again, uh, in connection with H5N1, again, the milieu, Ron Fouchier, uh, his supervisor, Jan Dijon, uh, the aforementioned Yoshihiro Kawaioki, uh, Kennedy Shortridge, and, uh, also Robert Webster, and, uh, the, and Frank McFarlane Burnet, uh, in Australia. These are people who are heavily involved with H5N1 research, including game and function research, and Kennedy Shortridge had predicted that the close proximity of humans and uh, animals in uh, South China would lead to some sort of zoonosis outbreak in China. Then surprisingly, surprisingly, um, not necessarily, but in 1997, the year of the handover of Hong Kong from Great Britain to China, there was an outbreak of human H5N1. So again, bearing in mind the program, the, the material from numerous programs about Gilead Sciences, the development of Tamiflu, the stockpiling of Tamiflu, again developed to combat a human H5N1 outbreak that never uh, materialized. Donald Trump profited handsomely from the Pentagon's purchase of that. That is to be reflected against the background, uh, reflected on against the background of this, again, the milieu of Anthony Fauci, Ron Fouchier, his mentor, Jan Dijon, uh, Yoshihiro Kawaioki, Robert Webster, Kennedy Shortridge, and also, uh, Frank McFarlane Bernay, people inextricably linked with game of function research and also biological warfare. And again, that is a milieu. So those are some of the highlights, maybe lowlights would be a better word, certainly is depressing. And now I'm going to begin a reading of this very important article. We will, uh, this will certainly take, uh, the rest of this program and, and uh, most of the next. Uh, we will also recap some of the information about, uh, the April 6th hearing at the UN and, uh, the program at the Bharatpur Migratory Bird Refuge in India in the late 60s, uh, funded by the Army, and also uh, the Daniel Salmonshine project of putting lone star picks on the Atlantic Flyway and the subsequent uh, appearance of well-established lone star pick colonies as far north as Maine. So we will come back to that uh, 
later in this program. So, by Alexis Bob Mayer from the Organic Consumers Association of April 22nd of 2022, is bird flu being weaponized? There's been a lot of talk about the conflict in Ukraine causing the release of dangerous pathogens, including highly pathogenic avian influenza H5N1 from U.S.-funded biolabs. This isn't the first time that H5N1 bioweapon spheres have gripped Ukraine. In 2009, when the flu broke out in Ukraine, the official story is that it was H1N1, rumors circulated that it was H5N1 sprayed via vaccines or aerial spraying. Making the whole H5N1 saga even sketchier is its origin story in the late 1990s. The emergence of the virus in 1997 in Hong Kong was eerily predicted by Kennedy Shortridge, the scientist who would discover it. H5N1 didn't infect humans until Shortridge and his colleagues had been studying its human infection potential in their labs for several years. One more time, because this is critical. Making the whole H5N1 saga even sketchier is its origin story in the late 1990s. The emergence of the virus in 1997 in Hong Kong, parenthetically, the very year of the handover from Hong Kong from Britain to China, was eerily predicted by Kennedy Shortridge, the scientist who would discover it. H5N1 did not infect humans until Shortridge and his colleagues had been studying its human infection potential in their labs for several years. At the the time, the natural leap of a flu directly from poultry to humans was so improbable that scientists first suspected that it was the result of contamination from Shortridge's lab. The 1997 H5N1 outbreak in Hong Kong was the first flu to be diagnosed by PCR pest. In the next section, does this scenario sound familiar? I have documented all of that below, but there are several even more obvious reasons why, if there is ever a human H5N1 outbreak or vaccination push, we'll know we're in the midst of another pandemic. 1. H5N1 hardly ever infects people. News about highly pathogenic avian influenza usually leads with how deadly it is. Rarely is it mentioned that the disease hardly ever infects people. H5N1 kills more than half the people who get it, but H5N1 has circled the globe for decades, and there have only been 860 human infections worldwide. There has never been an H5N1 pandemic, and no human infection with H5N1 bird flu has ever been identified in the United States. That is an extraordinary safety record, given how filthy U.S. factory farms and slaughterhouses are, and how fast the inspection, the infection spreads among crowded birds. So far in 2022, 29 states have reported outbreaks of bird flu in 213 flocks, resulting in the culling of nearly 31 million birds, including almost 5% of egg-laying hens. In 2015, it was even worse, with 50 million birds culled, but there wasn't a single human case. 3. H5N1 is not transmitted person to person. 
there were only a handful of, quote, possible, unquote, cases worldwide. That is how the CDC puts it. My research suggests that virus hunters like the Gates Foundation's Scott Dowell have stretched the truth in their search for transmissible H5N1. Regardless, the CDC says there is no evidence from those possible cases that spread one more time. Regardless, the CDC says there is no evidence from those possible cases that spread could be sustained beyond a single transmission. Four, there are no food safety risks associated with H5N1. If farm workers and meat packers don't get bird flu in filthy factory farms or slaughterhouses, it's no surprise the rest of us don't get bird flu from eating raw eggs or handling raw chicken. Five, Anthony Fauci has made significant investments in game-of-function research to give H5N1 pandemic potential, making it easily transmissible from person to person, and Bill Gates chipped in too. In this article, I lay out the evidence that, one, Fauci and Gates funded the weaponization of H5N1. Two, Fauci's H5N1 research is ongoing, and is being done all over the world, including in Pentagon-funded biolabs in Ukraine. Three, some of the scariest, most scandal-played corporations on the planet are involved in the Ukraine biolabs, from our millions against Monsanto nemesis Bayer to the likes of Battelle, B-A-T-T-E-L-L-E, Medibiopa, and Southern Research, biodefense contractors variously linked to the Biden family, the origins of COVID-19, and the 2001 anthrax attacks. Four, the U.S. has already authorized and stockpiled a human H5N1 vaccine. Tamiflu, by the way, is a treatment, not a vaccine. Continuing. Christian Westbrook at IceAgeFarmer.com is warning that bird flu will be the next human pandemic and that the catastrophe is being engineered to usher in the post-meat, post-farmer world that Bill Gates aspires to. Again, I don't know that's what he says, but again, put the question mark by that. As Alexis Bob Mayer then notes, continuing, I sincerely hope he's wrong. But it's hard to be optimistic when people like Robert Redfield, who was CBC director under Trump and is known for his suspicion that COVID-19 originated in a lab, are coming out of the woodwork to make the same eerie prediction. We looked at Robert Redfield in uh, the June 2021 Vanity Fair article. And uh, again, he is an advocate, basically a, uh, an exponent of the lab leak theory. Continuing the next section, Fauci and Gates funded the weaponization of H5N1. Uh, by the way, you know, Bill Gates himself has some very dark things about him. Uh, that too has been, I think, exaggerated by Team Trump and their enablers, you know, talking about, you know, microchips being injected into people's bloodstreams via vaccines and so forth. There is no need to do that. People can be tracked very effectively by a number of different technologies, including and especially the very smartphones they think are so important and so delightful. Uh, basically, those things are very effective surveillance devices. But again, I think uh, 
the gross exaggeration, much of it, frankly, of, you know, 911 controlled demolition ludicrousness uh, has unfortunately uh, worked to the benefit of uh, Bill Gates and that there are some very insidious things about him, but not putting microchips in vaccines. Continuing here, Fauci and Gates funded the weaponization of H5N1. Fauci and Gates figured out how to get scientists to participate in biological weapons research with a clean conscience. They pay them to, one, believe pandemics are caused by pathogens that don't infect humans, two, use genetic engineering and synthetic biology to, quote, predict, unquote, how those pathogens will infect humans. In his 2006 piece, The Science, How a Human Pandemic Could Start, Scott Dowell wrote, quote, while rare instances of H5N1 passing from person to person have been documented, there is no indication that it can do so efficiently. That could change. A series of mutations or a genetic reassortment event, a type of gene swapping among viruses, could enable, enable H5N1 to spread efficiently among humans, triggering a pandemic. H5N1 may evolve into something that's easily spread through coughing, sneezing, or contact with contaminated hands, unquote. In his wisdom, Fauci decided to see if he could make that happen in the lab. As director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, or NIAID, Fauci commissioned two gain-of-function research teams with grants titled Pandemic Potential of H5N1 Influenza Viruses and, quote, Understanding the Emergence of Highly Pathogenic Avian Influenza Viruses. Gates chipped in, too, with grants 48339 and OPPGH5383 from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. In parentheses, Ice Age Farmers Westbrook found a lot more documentation of Gates' funding of -of gain-of-function research to make highly pathogenic avian influenza even more pathogenic and transmissible. The scientists Fauci chose to lead the H5N1 teams, Ron Fouchier at the Erasmus Medical Center in Rotterdam, the Netherlands, and Yoshihiro Kawaoki at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and the University of Tokyo, were scientists Fauci had funded since 1990 under grants with titles including Influenza Virus Assembly. In February of 2006, Fauci convened a one-day in-house, quote, NIAID Influenza Research Summit to identify influenza research priorities. In September, he opened up the topic to a 35-member, quote, blue-ribbon panel on influenza research, unquote, that included Fouchier and Kawaoke. The blue-ribbon panel's report doesn't mention gain-of-function experiments, but Fauci gave them grants to do just that. Fouchier and Kawaoke's now infamous gain-of-function research showed that, through lab manipulation, H5N1 could be altered to become highly transmissible among humans via airborne infection. And again, we've spoken about the uh, gain-of-function research on H5N1 in a number of programs early in the series on the BioSciap apocalypse dealing with the uh, SARS-CoV-2 pandemic, COVID-19. Continuing, next section.
Did Fauci and Gates' weaponized H5N1 end up in Ukraine? In this video from Ice Age Farmer, and then, by the way, there are links in the written description, Christian Westbrook talks about Russia's claim that the U.S. funded Ukraine experiments with engineered strains of bird flu that could kill 50% of humanity. Russia's accusation was presented to the United Nations. Russia's information on U.S. funding of pathogen research in Ukraine was gleaned from public sources. One more time, because anything Russia says now is being, you know, well, that's lies, that's propaganda, and if you say something that comes from Russia, then you're automatically a Russian propagandist or a Russian dupe or a Russian agent, you name it. Uh, Cold War 2.0 is being accompanied by McCarthyism 2.0, and the man is it kicking in. Russia's accusation was presented to the United Nations. Russia's information on U.S. funding of pathogen research in Ukraine was gleaned from public sources. Robbie Martin of Media Roots Radio has compiled the documentation in a searchable database housed by our hidden history. Martin did a great podcast on the subject, quote, Is the U.S. making weapons under the guise of biodefense in Ukraine and elsewhere? with Gumby. And again, there are links in this. As Igor Kirillov, the head of the nuclear, biological, and chemical protection troops of the Russian Armed Forces, has reported, the Pentagon-funded pathogen projects in Ukraine were labeled UP for Ukraine project and given numbers starting with UP1. Currently, the project lead for U.S.-funded H5N1 research in Ukraine, the Pentagon's defense Threat Reduction Agency, or DPRA, refers to it as UP4, or Ukraine Project 4, is Denis Muzika, M-U-Z-Y-K-A. This is all very well documented, and the U.S. has not denied it, although it insists it is in full compliance with the Biological Weapons Convention. Ukraine is a hub for Pentagon Biolab funding, and biotech and pharmaceutical companies are going where the government contracts are. Our millions against Monsanto Nemesis Bayer is sidling up to the trough, too. Uh, we will continue with a reading of this article in our next program. Uh, do remember uh, the various links I've spoken about, uh, including the Patreon site where I can basically cover a lot more material than I can in a weekly one-hour broadcast. Uh, also note the comments that are uh, made by Parafractal mostly and sometimes by other people. Again, there is way too much going on for me to possibly cover it in a one-hour broadcast. That's why Patreon and the comments, made, most of them made by Parafractal, are very important. I believe the link enabling you to subscribe is no longer operative. You can just go to the comments themselves and visit the site on a regular basis. In any event, this concludes for the record program number 1248, The Ukraine War Meets the Oswald Institute of Virology, Part 1. This is being recorded on June 10th of the year 2022. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun. <laughs>